Kom så Danmark, det var en rigtig god kamp. Tillykke med guld. Danmark er the world champions for the second time in a row. A controlled performance saw them win 26-24 against a very good Swedish team. And despite being down for almost 40 minutes throughout the game, they never really lost control. And in the end, Niklas Sandin proved decisive and lifted the trophy for Denmark. Welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour, where I am joined by Brian Campion and Chris O'Reilly, who is sitting on the losing side of the Øresund Bridge, which has now been fully lit up in red and white of Denmark, and the yellow and blue of Sweden has been extinguished. How does it feel to be on the losing side, Chris? It feels surprisingly okay. I think my experience as an Irish handball international has allowed me to uh, to get used to defeat and uh, take it with grace and I think that is what the nation of Sweden is feeling today you know they've taken this defeat well the players are seem to be a bit devastated from what I've seen in the post-match interviews but look Denmark were the favorites coming into this Sweden have had an exceptional run anything today would have been a bonus and I think the fact that they really pushed Denmark hard and even in the final couple of minutes had a chance to make it a real tight game says a lot about this team and uh, I think they can be very happy with their well not the performance I don't think it was a great performance by either side there were some good performances in there but I think they can be happy with the effort at the very least and the fact that they made it a game and they you know the first close world championship final since 2015 maybe since France beat Qatar, uh, we're talking the men's side here. So, yeah, overall, I think uh, Sweden won't be so devastated. But Denmark were quite clearly the best team in this competition. They got challenged a couple of times, but throughout the competition, they were incredibly consistent. They had an incredible squad. They played tactics very different according to the opponents they were facing. They had an array of skills, an array of tactics, an array of goals, an array of young breakout stars. Absolutely amazing performances by their big players, Mikkel Hansen and Niklas Landin. And they had the whole country supporting them. Two million fans watching every one of the knockout games. It's funny you say that, that they that they were the best teams throughout the championship because the last time we recorded it was before the quarterfinal and we still had no idea what we thought of this team because they hadn't been challenged they were challenged pretty hard in these three games but yeah before that we didn't really know what to make of them what 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 did you think you've learned from this team brian like going into the tournament everyone was saying in the predictions that Norway were going to win and when you look at those predictions now they look a bit crazy and i noticed we didn't retweet them again we we didn't retweet that uh (laughs) that graphic i didn't even put denmark (laughs) in my top three (laughs) yeah you're living there And Jimmy Gradin from, from Handball Scotland got thrown under the bus because he, he's Swedish and he, he didn't even put Sweden in the top three. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think to win 
tour- it's such a I mean this was such a long tournament as well and I think maybe we've seen that like a team like Norway well they might have the best starting seven maybe don't have the squad to win a tournament like that and I think something I've learned about Denmark was that they're A, B and C even C players not C players but I mean there's some players who are kind of didn't feature much in other games like a, play, a player like Uris today who let's be honest nobody was thinking about before this game no one was saying we'll need a big performance from Uris and he comes out and he plays like the way he did so I think for me the biggest thing I learned from them is they have an incredible amount of really 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 good players that when you can just turn the bench like that and uh, bring players like that on I think that's that's really hard to compete with and then I think we see that maybe like a team like Norway that's for something what they're lacking and when you want to win a championship like that you maybe do need a bit of a better bench and I think but they were, they were I agree with Alex they were the, the best team of the whole tournament but I will say this it wasn't as maybe as hyper impressive of some other world championships wins when we see like teams like France winning when they really could you really felt like it was almost like in a a full, fully rounded performance where I think Denmark were really pushed to certain parts and it could have really went either way, especially against Egypt. Great to see them win, but uh, maybe not as polished as other wins we've seen in the past. Uh, the depth, not only on the player side. So in the final, it was incredible. They they rotated that backcourt so much and every player who came in had a stormer and made an impact. But also they've changed around tactically so much throughout the tournament. Even comparing the semi-final where they're basically seven on six for the whole game because they knew that was the way to beat Spain. In the final, they barely used the seven on six. They used it very sparingly. And, you know, they're a little bit forced into it, but they did play uh, right-handed right back for a lot of it. And it just, they continually changed the way they attack throughout the game. So when the opposing team gets comfortable, kind of figures them out for a second, they just com- completely switch it up. And I think that is impressive. And I think um, Nikolai Jakobsen should be lauded for his management of the games, except for his partial terrible management of uh, the endings of games. So thankfully it wasn't a close uh, final or he might have been able to fuck it up again. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting you say that because I think that's probably feeding into what I just said before because there's a few times I sat down to watch the different Danish and it kind of almost felt like a different team each time. That's probably why in my head I was thinking this maybe doesn't seem as polished, doesn't seem like a full the full package, but in reality they were just reacting what was in front of them. So maybe I'm being a little bit unfair when I'm saying that it wasn't that polished. They won the World Championship, but you know what I mean. The fact is that they were so close to being knocked out in that quarterfinal and when you look at that quarterfinal and the extra time period, particularly the second extra time period, where they couldn't score a goal for the entire 10 minutes, that backcourt looked so lost. And for the first time, I looked at Denmark and I was like, oh my God, they actually don't know how to play handball. Like, where are the players gone? <laughs> and in the end, it was Matthias Gitzel was the only one willing enough to take on a shot. It ended up getting that penalty. Just to focus on the, the final a little bit more, because for about 40 minutes of the game, I thought that Sweden had figured Denmark out. Sweden didn't play a great game, but I think tactically and man for man, they were looking better. And, you know, they had the lead at 41 minutes, 1918. And for me, we're looking like they were going to go all the way. And then Jakob Holm comes on, completely ignored in the semi final, 
scores four goals in five minutes and all of a sudden the score is 22-20. Like, what a game changer. What a super sub. And uh, for me, it was him, like that impact and Nicholas Landin then turning it on in the final 15 minutes and really shutting up shop that basically denied Sweden because I think they, they put on a really good performance and I don't know if you if you saw it much differently, but I thought for that opening forty minutes that they looked a better team. It was it was a slow first half. Mm. It, it was a bit of a slog, and it, it was a complete difference because Sweden got a lot of joy going outside. They got a lot of goals from the wing. Hampus Van was pop, popping up. It was nice. Well, Denmark only shot from the center, basically. Uh, literally, they had one shot from the wing, and that was that Gissel. Um, goal and all of it kind of was that classic over-reliance on Hansen because sometimes and as you mentioned Denmark slow down so much because Hansen plays at a snail's pace his body is at a snail's pace but his mind is a rocket ship so he really <laughs> that's a quote he just gets a little bit complacent <laughs> and tries <laughs> snail body rocket mind Mikkel Hansen <laughs> but he slows it down a little bit too much sometimes and that really was useful for sweden because they they allowed him to take a few more shots they actually didn't step out as much as previous teams tried to do they really focused on limiting the wings and i I fully agree that it needed a change-up and that change-up came from first it was urs at the end of the first half then it was Jakob Holm, and even Mads Mensa Larsen had a fantastic five minutes where he came on, <laughs> gave a beautiful assist, scored a goal, and I think... Then he uh, missed three shots. Then he missed three shots and went <laughs> off. But, <laughs> you know... It's, 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 it's how we missed them. It's how we yeah. missed them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but the impact came at the right time. That was the thing, that... Uh, when they really needed it, they had a different player stepping up throughout. And that player faded, and they had a bit of consistency, especially from Landine in that second half. Landine was just absolutely incredible. And I mentioned before this tournament that, you know, I was rooting for Sagasin to have the best year ever, win the Champions League twice, and uh, win the World Championship. Well, Landine has two boxes ticked for this year already. He won the first Champions League he has another gold medal, and it could be one of the greatest seasons of all time from Landine. Who didn't have a good tournament, but had a very good final, second half in the semi-final and the final, which is uh, really a credit to him. One player I don't think we've talked about much, I just want to give a shout out to Lasse Anderson. I think he's been fantastic in this tournament. All of a sudden turned into a defensive specialist, filled in everywhere. He was in the center at, uh, at times, played in the number two on the right-hand side when there was trouble there and like helped to basically shut down Goffredson and Carlsbergord. And then he came on in the, the left side, number two, where the trouble was uh, in the second half. Great transition player. Popped up with the odd goal, some good assists as well, uh, particularly in the semifinals. So I think uh, another kind of role I expected him to fill, but he's uh, been a huge addition to that team. You could say he was a Swiss Army knife. You could. You could coming up later. That. Yes, coming up later. Special mm-hmm. awards. But but I think he could have had a bigger role in the tournament. I was actually quite frustrated because he was limited to that defensive and uh, transition specialist and that he was amazing in in transition and that's another let's say innovation by Jakobsen 
because they had the defensive specialist in Mulgar coming on, uh, coming on and off in every attack, and then they had Lars Anderson to make sure that the pace in the game isn't lost when you're making defensive su- substitutions. So they're able to bolster the defense but keep the pace up. I think that was crucial in a lot of... Usually at the start of games, that role of transition, steam train, kind of tends to peter out in the second half of games. And I thought that's when Lars Anderson could have been let let in to play some you know, seven-on-seven mm-hmm. handball. It still worked for them, so I, I won't complain. In our last podcast, we gave our predictions for the rest of the tournament. And similar to at the beginning of the championship, when we all thought Norway was going to win, most of us thought Norway was going to win again. One man got the prediction perfect. That man was Brian Campion, who named all 32 teams in his quarterfinal preview. (laughs) 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 And ended up saying, huh, Denmark are going to win this anyway. I'll play the clip. Sweden, Denmark, Denmark, just because if Landin is hasn't hurt himself, Denmark, because they've got a better goalkeeper. Sorry, Andres and Agraforce. Is that the other guy? Mm-hmm. Brian? I had, I had Norway, Sweden, or Norway, uh, Norway, France, and I had Norway to win. Stick to it. Norway. I don't know. I feel Denmark are going to win the whole thing. I just can't come in mind. Push over champion. I've never met any- <laughs> I, I heard everyone else saying this, so I decided I. Yeah, no, do, do you know what you do? See, you, you mention all the teams, and then you just take your sound clip. Then when it actually happens, you go, "Look, I told you so." <laughs> Even though someone has to listen to the whole podcast to see, you actually said all the different permutations. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> That's how you make it in show business. Also, in fairness, Tom Brannigan said that it would be a Denmark Sweden final. That Denmark would win because Landine was the better goalkeeper. So that was an incredibly accurate prediction in the end. Alex, both you and I went for, or the three of us went for Norway to win originally, right? Their run came to a very sudden end in what was, uh, yeah, really a painful game to watch against Spain. We won't go into the details of it too much, but the reason I bring it up is because we got an interesting uh, email from a listener called Vitor Kanieski. He's from Brazil, but now lives in Belgium played handball for a long time and is a big fan of Spain and Jordi Ribera, the current Spanish coach who used to coach Brazil. He thinks that we haven't been giving them enough credit and we have a a lack of understanding about the Spanish team and their strategy. And uh, what he was talking about, particularly when it comes to defense, because, you know, we do admit that we don't really know why Spain or how Spain keep doing it. And they've managed to do it again. Uh, They were so, they were, a whisker away from sending that semi-final to extra time and got a bronze medal over, over France in the end. So what he had to say about the Norway game, which I found interesting, was that um, when the Spanish attack uh, began to have difficulties, Jordi Ribera took this time out and started focusing on the two-against-two attack. And I think that combined with the, the line player worked really, really well. At the 20-minute mark, then they had a completely different lineup that started. They swapped the backcourt. And uh, with Sarmiento uh, playing together with Entrerios, the Spanish defense changed then from a 5-1 to 6-0, then 3-2-1, then back to 6-0, which left Norway's attack uh, completely lost. So I think, yeah, that was, is pretty accurate because Norway's attack was completely lost. And Brian, you made a reference to it about the depth in that Norway squad. 
And I think it's worth mentioning briefly because as soon as Sagerson left the court, it really was so obvious to see. Just to come back to what he said there about Spain, I think there seems to be, I mean, when you look at the predictions as well, you know Spain are going to be in the semi-finals almost. You're almost guaranteed they're going to be in the semi-finals. I think they're in the 12 of the last 14 World Championship semi-finals. So you know they're going to be there, thereabouts. But there's something, and I think we've fallen victim to it a few times as well, but there's just something about Spanish handball that people like to sleep on a little bit and kind of almost like to doubt for whatever reason. Maybe because it's so defensively focused plus just incredible counterattacks that maybe it's not as a, as appealing to as other styles of handball but it seems to be something that I'm trying to slowly figure out myself why we why we fall victim to it because we know they're going to be there thereabouts each time but yeah they have an incredible roster of players as well and I think maybe maybe there's something to do with that we've seen a lot of their backcourt players for so long now that there's just maybe a lack of a star centre back or a star left back who's going to come up and really get the fans excited so to get people can get behind them again but people definitely love to kind of forget about Spain and, and what Spain do well. We're going to be back to doubting them by the next major championship after the Olympics because a bunch of the experienced players are going to retire. And I'm sure they do have more players to bring in. I mean, Spain is a factory of handball players, but yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll fall into the same trap next January at the, at the Euro. I mentioned before, and it was the fact that Alex Dushabayev didn't start the tournament well is what threw me off because he was their star player when they won the Euros. And that's him not playing well at the start was why I kept kind of saying when it reaches the moment where, where they need a goal and they need to win in a big game, they're not going to do it. But then Alex Tishbaev came back huge. He had a fantastic semi-final game. He had a really good bronze medal game. Also, the emergence of Danny Dushibayev is something we haven't talked about. He's been some someone we've probably <laughs> joked about too much. <laughs> Because he seems to be this kind of, for a long time, it looked like his name was the only reason why he was at the very top. And he was a bit slow, a little bit overweight, had that puppy fat as he was growing into his body. But he seems to have grown into it and was very good in this tournament. He really took it a couple of levels up. In the Euros, every time he came on, he looked completely lost. In this tournament, he was the main left back and the main shooter for the Spain team. And I think played very well, and it looks like he has a number of levels to go up once he get that, gets that trust. And maybe when that Dushibayev partnership really flies off, we can start getting excited about Spain again. Because I just I can't get excited about Danny Sarmiento coming on and doing something at 36 years old. You know, I've, I've gotten excited about Dan, Danny Sarmiero for 10 years. He's one of my favorite ever players, but he's mm -hmm. not the same anymore. And when that is the player that you throw on to put the foot down, it's just not, mm -hmm. it's not enough anymore. So uh, again, we, we said this at the Euros, we said, oh, a lot of these Spanish players are going to be gone and there'll be a new crop coming through. Yeah. We haven't seen that crop yet, but maybe after the olympics that that will happen yeah well it's definitely gonna have to happen after that but besides that besides the backcourt i mean you've got two players you know are going to be there alex dushabayev and danny dushabayev now whoever is that new playmaker coming into the team is going to have one hell of a time and if they're young and they're fast and they're smart if they have half the intelligence of raul and Trarios, it's going to be a team to be reckoned with because we know the wings are going to be around for much longer 
The two line players, I think they've well, they've got a lot more years left in them. Ruben Marchand, who just like came out of nowhere for me, really in the in that quarterfinal, and the goalkeeper pair as well, Corrales and Perez de Vargas. I mean, exciting times ahead for Spain, who got the bronze ahead of France, who yeah, they they just teased us, you know, they have France. We thought we <laughs> bait and switch, bait and switch. Just, as soon as we start to believe in them again. <laughs> those fuckers I was talking to my French friend uh, watching that semi-final and we were talking about yeah you you can't trust trust France to win but you also can't trust them to lose (laughs) yeah 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 Who's your MVP of the tournament? Because it's a little bit more difficult this time around. You know, in the past years, there's been a clear MVP of the tournament. Um, in 2019, Hansen was incredible. But this time around, he had a bit of a LeBron James approach to the tournament where he coasted for a little while, uh, knew that his team is going to get into crunch time and really turn it on in crunch time. But he also did a ridiculously bad mistake <laughs> that that almost caused his team to get knocked out. But he he had uh, the redemption in the semi-final. You know, he had the, he, he, he bounced back from that. Um just to go over the official All-Star team quickly sure. before we go into our own. Like all all semi-finalists only. So it's Andreas Palika, Hampus Vanna, Mikkel Hansen, Jim Gottfriedsen, Matthias Gitzel, Ferran Sole, Ludovic Fabregas, Mikkel Hansen as the MVP. No, Frank is Carol Marzo. Should, should I read out um, Rasmus Boysen's all-star thing? Because I think it's a, it's a lot closer to the one we we were talking about. Palika goal, Vanna left wing, Hansen left back, Godfrey playmaker, Gitzel right back, Sanad right wing, Ben Hadi playmaker, and defensive Dari. MVP Godfrey and coach Solberg. That is very close to the one that we were thinking about. I really, I, I don't have Gitzel in my all-star team. I think he's been incredible in the tournament i think just how far he outperformed his standing uh, before the tournament and how important he was at key stages at the start but in the semi-final and the final he was quite poor uh, of course in the final he was reduced to a right wing role but even before that um he, he struggled against the swedish defense he scored one goal out of two shots in the final if we're talking about the whole tournament i don't quite have him as the best right back he was incredible but he wasn't the best yours was Yahya Omar Yahya Omar deserved that position because he was incredible he was their top assist maker his shooting percentage was incredible he stepped up at all the key moments and just because Egypt went out in a razor thin match doesn't mean he (laughs) he wasn't the best right back in the tournament fair play to Egypt the only two games they lost was on penalties to Denmark's the winners and a another razor thin game against Sweden the other finalists so in another world Egypt could have really challenged for a gold medal it's a little bit sad that they didn't quite get there any changes you would have made to Rasmus's or the official team Brian maybe Alex has convinced me there that we maybe put Yaya Omar in at right back I'm just thinking about a player like I'm just I mean Benhidi is a big one that he put in there and, and then Benhidi was no I think I probably would put Benhidi in actually now that I think about it I think Fabregas I don't know what do you think about the IHF putting Fabregas in as line player what, what's he, what, what's, what was your take on that 
I don't think he he wasn't such a dominant line player, particularly even for France, because they had Nicolas Tournat in there, who only missed one shot yeah. the entire tournament. I think he was very important in defence, especially when Luka Karabatic went out of that team. And I I would actually lean for uh, Fabregas ahead of Banhidi because Banhidi was a bit hot and cold, as in he was either a volcano or kind of had a few mediocre performances. I think his overall shooting percentage, again, started incredibly well, but then petered out. Despite the fact that I think Banhidi is the best line player in the world, I probably would put Fabregas there just because he was so important for France. But then again, I just noticed as well, we've known from Spain in our team. Ten minutes ago, we were talking about how we are ignoring Spain, and now we're <laughs> ten minutes later, we don't put a single Spanish person in the team. Alex Ushibayev might have been able to squeeze in there. And right back, like it's a it's a battle there. But Yahya Omar really, I agree, was outstanding. And Gitzel was throughout the tournament. But yeah, Spain. Hmm. I would put both of their goalkeepers as hmm. the... Because they were such a team, you know? And I think that's why one of them doesn't stand out. Because it's kind of... Anytime it goes slightly wrong for that player, he gets replaced. And But as a team, they were absolutely incredible. And I'd say the primary reason why Spain got the bronze medal in the whole tournament. And Corrales had something like 20 saves in that bronze medal match. He was absolutely incredible. Yep. Gonzalo Perez de Vargas had another game where he had close to 20 saves. Both of them have the two best save percentages in the competition of goalkeepers who have faced a good amount of shots, let's say. They're both at 36 and 34%. And even though Palika would be, could also very much be there because he had 34% as well. So I'd put both of them, but that's maybe a cop out. Do you think Palika making onto the All Star team was heavily influenced by that spectacular save in a lot of people's minds that kind of just tipped the balance? Definitely caught the attention, you know. <laughs> it was it was an ESPN top uh, or Sports Center top player of the day. Uh, that's how wide ranging it was. But I, I think it was between the the Spanish keepers and Palika. And I think because Palika was the dominant goalkeeper for uh, Sweden, that he did play the vast majority and had a good percentage considering that. Uh, I think that's what gave him the edge. Um, but I'm happy to to give it to the goalkeeper duo. The only other change that I would make, and I think this goes back to the original question about the MVP, is that I would have made room for Frankist Carol Marzo in there by putting him at left back, Gottfriedsen in the centre, and then Mikkel Hansen, for me, is still the MVP of the whole championship because when it came down to it, he, you know, even in the game he played terribly in, the Egypt game, he scored 10 goals. You know, he was, he is so, so important for that team. And I uh, still, I think, overall the MVP. I would fully agree with that. I, I don't think you could have Gottfriedsen as MVP after losing a final and got, scoring two goals from 10 shots. Yeah, he, he, he's incredible. He deserves to be the all-star center player, but he can't be MVP with that. Yeah, good. So that pretty much finalizes it, does it? Are we are we saying the Senad right wing as well? I would. Yeah, I think that's what we agreed on beforehand. And then me, Benhadi, Chris Benhadi, and Alex Fabregas. I'll, I'll go with Benhadi. Just as a, I'll go with the team. And since since Rasmus also picked a coach, I mean, it's probably in my head, probably coach. I always think is something of someone who's almost maybe not as established. So in my head, when I when I first thought about it, I probably thought Parando or Salberg. But Nikolai Jakobsen obviously <laughs> should be in the, should be in the conversation as well. Ah. What, what, what do you think? It's got to be Guillaume Gilles, right? <laughs> <Should>. Guillaume Gilles masterclass. <laughs> <laughs> 
getting those plucky underdogs to fourth place in the world championship uh, it's no easy challenge to take the best team in the world on paper <laughs> and actually make them play handball <laughs> that's that's uh, asking you a bit too much i think uh, for me yeah i think you have to give it to the the newcomer glenn solberg previous experience coaching in the top division in norway that's it um taking a bunch of guys that nobody knew for the most part and he did do he did bring a tactical innovation he brought back every single player playing both ways <laughs> which had a huge impact i mean <laughs> it sounds simplistic but there were because he made every single player in the team play in attack and defense i think it helped a lot with the swedish team and he uh in his very short time has and made them into a team that, as we saw the scenes after the semi-final, just how happy they were, just like how much they it meant to them. I think that uh, that says a lot about the the group of players he brought together. Now enough with the boring stuff like best players. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go into our third edition of alternative player awards of the championship i said not our fourth technically because we had one for the women now and we had 2019 and 2020 for the men because canton mahe was the original swiss army knife ah uh, he was yeah yes it wasn't a fully fledged awards back then but that kick started it all but maybe we start with the swiss army knife since you brought it up and let's let's just give our run of swiss army knives in on the men's side so far so the two players that have gotten the Swiss Army knife was Kenton Mai and it was Christian Sullivan in the European Championship. This is the player who does everything. I had I had Maya again, but I don't think we can give it to him again. My player was Duarte for Portugal. Because he was a defensive specialist, but he did a lot more than that because he was incredible in defense and where he played, he usually played number two, but he played number three as well. He ran their fast break every time. And he also, when needed, stepped in to be in attack as well. What about you, Brian? I actually had Lassa Anderson uh, down before you even mentioned it earlier, Chris. And then uh, you were, how he was kind of thrown in in different places in defense and attack and also in a transition place. So I think someone like Lars Anderson actually is a pretty good fit uh, for the Swiss Army Knife. A lot of different tools, a lot of th- different things to offer. And he just did it 100% every time. So I think he had, a, he had a good tournament. Okay. There were two players I had on the list. Two players I had were Jonathan Karlsbergard from Sweden and Frankis Karol Marzo from Qatar. I think I'll have to push for... Frank is Carol Marzo in the end because he quite literally did everything for the team. Like there would be no Qatar in the quarterfinals if not for him. Uh, 58 goals in the end, all from open play, if I'm not mistaken. Top scorer of the competition. So managing to be the top scorer in the competition without scoring a single penalty is really, really impressive. Also, seventh place in assists with 27. And... Top 10 for steals, uh, number six. That really screams to me as a guy who was very active, not just in, in attack clearly, but also in defense for the team. And he was there for every single game for them, dragging them, kicking and screaming to the knockout rounds. So that's why I would go for Frankis Carl Marzo. I can't argue with that. Let's give it to him. Yeah, I'm happy with that. I think he's 
the best Swiss Army knife we've ever seen. He's a gold-plated <laughs> Swiss Army knife, but he does fit the Swiss yeah. Army knife uh, bill. One more. He was one victory away from being MVP, probably. If he got to the semi-final, it probably would have been MVP. A fridge too far. And uh, so Swiss Army knife for Frankus Carol Marzo. What should we go for next? We usually go for the butter knife, right? Oh, yes. Tell us what the butter knife is. The butter knife is quite the opposite of the Swiss Army knife, where... It's a player who has one role that they do very, very well, but can't really do anything too much else at an exceptional level. Mm. This could be controversial now. Your book would actually murder me for this, but uh, I was thinking about Johannesson, freshly for this ward, uh, Sogard. Uh, You're on Sogard. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, an absolutely incredible player, but he's the kind of guy you give the ball to, he goes one against one, he drops his shoulder, he'll take the tackle. But we've seen him a lot of times when he just, when he kind of, that doesn't seem to work, he can kind of lose the head a bit. And I think he maybe doesn't have quite the same versatility as I maybe thought he did have before the tournament. Had a, had a, a decent tournament, but maybe was suffering from a bit of butter knife syndrome. <laughs> oh, I think, I think he's way too good to be a butter knife. <laughs> I think he's way too good to be there. I had Las Anderson as butter knife because he never played in the set attack. He was never allowed to play in the set attack during important moments. So his only role was to be a defender at the number two position, which he did very well, but it wasn't, you know, it's not the most influential position, especially in that Danish defense. And he just ran the fast break incredibly. And he was incredible at that transition. And that's why he is... My butter knife. He can do more. Mm. That's the problem. Like we know he can do more. But is it butter knife because he was he was put into that part of the kitchen drawer? This multi pronged fork was put into the wrong. I think he was jammed into a, a knife shaped hole. Wow, two very high, very high profile players. Yeah, I think two actual. Two mm. definitely not butter knives, I think, so far. <laughs> Go on, Chris. Did you have another one? I, can to... see. I mean, mine, he's going to get an award for something else, I hope. But he really does fit this so well. Gauthier Mvumbi is a butter knife because he literally has one job in the team. Never has a line player been more of an attack-only line player. Now, if you look at his Instagram, as I sent you the picture... Turns out he's got a bit of a jump shot as well. And we saw him fly through the air a few times. But in this tournament, when he came on for Congo, it was quite literally, he's going in there. He's going to move around maybe a little bit. Feed the goat and he will score. I think he is the most butter knife, butter knife uh, out of all of this. I think also a last minute nomination of Simon Held for Denmark. Because he was just <laughs> terrible in attack. He hasn't played uh, in attack for Flensburg for a long time. But he just, he really sucked in attack for, for Denmark. <laughs> He's much better than that. I think it is just him coming off the injury and not playing in attack for Flensburg. But he was mm. purely there to block shots. Oh, God. Yeah, zero out of three in a world championship final for Seaman Held. And one which he missed the goal completely, which was an absolute, probably one of the worst misses of the whole tournament. But hey, he's a he's a world championship gold medalist. Yeah. So will we give it to Mvumbi? Yes. Because he was incredible when he played in attack. But the issue was that 
almost every time he scored, Congo were defending with five players and <laughs> conceded a goal straight away. So it was... <laughs> <laughs> okay, congratulations. Go to the AM Vumby. Should we go now to the uh, Swiss Cheese Award? So I think this could be for defending, or it could be an individual yeah. performance or a collection of defensive players. But bad defensive. So it is a, it is a bad defensive action or defensive sieve. For me, it's a, a team who took the art of Swiss cheese defending to brand new heights by disregarding the art completely. Korea. <laughs> <laughs> whose average scoreline was probably something like 35 goals scored, 47 goals conceded. I mean, we talked about them and our admiration for their uh, their guts throwing out this under-23 team, but had absolutely no intent, not even no clue, but no intention to defend. I think in this case, it may not be a Swiss cheese, but it has to be a nice French brie that has molded over a long time and that is the french goalkeeper's performance in the semi-final um, that was my one as well oh. <laughs> it has to be it, like i don't know how france even stayed in the game against sweden when their goalkeepers saved three shots in 60 minutes nine percent three shots it was horrific and they and from the wings they got nothing from the back uh, Sweden were scoring at will it was just it was a terrible 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 performance and Vanchon Girard actually had a pretty good tournament and he even had a good bronze medal match but it was a horrific performance by the French goalkeepers in the semi-final yeah considering how it started for them with Wesley Pardan making what was it 18 saves in the first game in the victory over Norway to that I think people are at the moment they're being quite hard on Gerard because they know the heights that he has reached in the past and he's a bald French goalkeeper and the standards of bald French goalkeepers is very high so <laughs> he has still big shoes to fill and I think yeah that that the semi-final performance the, the three from 30, 34 shots was yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. Just I don't want to repeat what Alex said, but I was just like, how is this game even anywhere close when your keepers have made so few saves? Had he made even ten, like let's say eight saves, it could have been so, it could be such a difference. But yeah, nine percent or whatever it was is just yeah. It's, you might as well have put a big lump of Swiss cheese in the goal. An easy choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Ah, uh, shall we go for? I think all of our favorite awards of the the championship. Uh, that is the Adrian Sipos, uh, the Adrian Sipos Award for excellence in shithousery. I generally just had, I mean, a very clear one. Just the the Moroccan defensive coach and whatever he's saying to people, uh, <laughs> or whatever he's doing to train these players. If he does he even a background even in sport, I don't know. But uh, yeah, he. he <laughs> and then I think. Did you all have an Icelandic player by any chance? No. Oh no. Okay, who did you have, Chris? Oh, I, I see. I see. I see. You're talking about he's number two, or he's right behind the person I have in the punishments list. But is is yours a lady snare Vidarsson? Yes. Yeah. He has three records and seven two minutes in six matches. That's a that's that's impressive. I, I'd like to say something about the Moroccan team and. That is that 
I don't think they encapsulate the Adrian Shipos Award for Excellence in Shithousery. <laughs> and that is because they don't get away with it. The, the <laughs> essence of the award is it's the player who really hurts people. It's the player who fucks shit up. But then they don't get a red card every time. And mm. what Morocco did was just get a red card every time by not being sly about it. If you want to elbow someone, just elbow them a little bit earlier when the ball is on the other side of the court and someone's on the line. Don't get a red card for it. Don't elbow them while they're going through on goal. So I don't think Morocco qualify for this award. I, I have Hisham Hakimi uh, from Morocco as who's the, the most disciplinary points against him with one blue card, one red card, and five two-minute suspensions. And if you just look at his picture on the ITF website, he just looks like I'm going to fuck shit up. <laughs> he is like, I, I don't even know what handball is. I, I'm a right back, apparently. But uh, <laughs> but I, I, it's fair what you say about the subtleties of the award and you know the necessity to not get caught all the time maybe adrian shipos deserves to get the award again then because incredibly enough he only got six two-minute suspensions and one red card in uh, in seven matches played uh, so <laughs> it seems like he got away with an awful lot of shit but yeah that's uh i'm i'm willing to uh, open the door to your concluding statements here alex mine is alexis borges for portugal and it was primarily because of one move which he didn't get punished for at all and it's the classic move of putting your body in front putting your knee right into the attacker's thigh giving them a dead leg and saying oh i didn't do anything i just got in front of him he kept doing it the whole competition and he he does go out there to hurt people he really does i i think portuguese team doesn't take any prisoners and he is my um shithouser of the year <laughs> what, what was his discipline stats in the end do you know off the top of your head he got five two-minute suspensions and one red card. So I think oh. the fact that he got a red card puts him into overall contention. But only five two-minutes means that he's bad enough to get a red card at one stage, but he's good enough to get away with it much more. Adding more into this is that he played the most overall time for Portugal, yet only took nine shots on goal. So everything he does is about disruption and destruction at either end of the court. So I actually, I like this, uh, I like this approach, Alex. It's good. I, my, my favorite part there was when you said that he, he got a red card, so that puts him into contention. So it's almost like you need the red card to get you into the club. And then once you're in the club, yeah. you have to do, we have to be a bit more sly about how you're fouling people. I like that. I like how it's becoming more and more defined over the years, this, this award. <laughs> Good stuff. What's next? I think we, we go back into the cutlery drawer and go with the Silver Spoon Award. <laughs> and the Silver Spoon is for the worst action of the tournament. And I have a bunch. So <laughs> you guys go first, and then I'll, I'll rally mine off. Oh, oh no, you go. You rally yours off, then. I think that we that we can <laughs> give us the short list. I'll give you the short list. Two of them happened in the same game, and that was the Egypt Denmark game. First, Mamdu making a an illegal substitution in the crucial moment of a game where Egypt 
potentially could have won a gold medal and gone on for it. You know. <laughs> and he got excused because then Hansen did an equally stupid thing of throwing away the ball. And no matter how you want to defend him and did he hear the whistle, he looked at the referee and chucked that ball away. He knew exactly what he was oh, doing. Mm. And yeah, it could have cost uh, Denmark a a place or this gold medal it didn't in the end so that's why it's not my stupidest moment on the other side of that oh actually i'm gonna stick with that game because <laughs> that that was just it was an incredible game for its highs and lows and that was morton olsen's cameo in the second extra time period <laughs> Which must have been. He was on for 90 seconds. He was on for 90 seconds. He, he had zero goals and two shots. He had no assists, one turnover. And he had a probably world record player score of minus 7.6. So that means he did 7.6 bad actions in 90 seconds. He did. I, I won't fully blame him because... He didn't play a minute in that game and was thrown on into the cauldron. But it was ridiculously bad. <laughs> and my last one to complete the series is one that actually cost his team the place in the tournament. And that was Sanai for Tunisia. And we mentioned it earlier in the tournament. It was Tunisia against Brazil. Tunisia had the ball with... 12 seconds left, Sanai got a bit of a hero complex where he received the ball at the right back position with two players in front of him. He could have just held on to the ball. He didn't have to do a single thing. And Tunisia would have won that game, gone on to the main round, and everyone would be happy. But he decided to, t instead of looking at two players to his right, he decided to shoot a really bad standing shot straight into the goalkeeper's arms and knock Tunisia out of the tournament. That, that's, a, that's a fine selection, I have to say. That is, uh, that is a serious shortlist. Okay, I had, um, I had two. Also, two to add to that because they are very good submissions. But again, both in the same game. And it was from the very first round and newcomers to the competition, Uruguay facing Germany. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, the first one, the first one, the first one could cry. <laughs> I'm just watching them again. The first one, the first one could count for the shit house reward because because Uruguay's number fifteen, Bruno Valentin Mendez Suarez. Completely got away with smashing Sebastian Fernhaber smack bang in the face from a quick throw-off. Brilliant shit shithousery shooting right to the head. There was an open goal behind him, but that doesn't matter. Uh, the other the other one was from their right wing with an amazing name, Geronimo Goyoaga Alonso. In a moment where... He is competing for the ball in the right wing. The whistle blows. He thinks it's a free throw to him. Clearly, it's for an infringement on the goal and it's Germany's ball. 
he then proceeds to run around the defender who was um who was tackling him back to nine meters somewhere far away from the infringement to try and take a quick pot shot past yogi bitter terrible shot which bitter just kind of slaps away and then looks completely fabricated at the referee saying what was that all about as geronimo trots back to the fence uh, apologizing i think for like taking the quick shot he thinks yeah a bit of a, a farcical moment but uh, people were taking the piss out of him because it seemed like he didn't know the rules i think he did know the rules and i think he just misunderstood uh, fr- a free throw for germany as a free throw for uruguay but two gorgeous gorgeous moments for the team that finished 24th out of 32 teams at this world championship brian you gotta decide I think for me, it's going to be between Mamdu and Geronimo. I think, but for the Silver Spoon Award, I think in the nature of the Silver Spoon Award, if it, I think it more, the spin shot from the last Euro, from the Women's Euro, made us laugh. And I think it should make us laugh. So I think we'll go for yeah. Geronimo this time out. Mamdu made us all cry. <laughs> Geronimo made us laugh. Yeah. <laughs> in general, Uruguay got the Silver Spoon of the tournament as a team. Congratulations to Geronimo Goyaoga Alonso. Any other awards to give out there? Life um, of the Party, Best Action, Lifetime Award, Random Rocket. Can we run through them quickly? Okay, well, I think we'll go through it quickly. I think for me, Life of the Party would have to be Congo. I think their celebration after they won their first President's Cup game was was incredible. Uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, Lazaroff. I think no one can argue with that. Best moments would have been with the Palika save, I think, is probably one of the best moments. It, one of the, it was a moment that made everyone really like jump out of their seats. And there was one other one you mentioned there. What was I missing one? You said another one, Chris? The random rocket. The random rocket. Hmm. The random rocket for me is Nikolai Uris and that mm. shot was shortly before halftime in the final for Denmark. That because, it, and he was such a random input into the game. A guy who barely played the whole championship came in, scored five goals out of five shots random rocket definitely random rocket good choice and i got a last one which is a new one we did in the women's european championship but that was the iron face award and finally sanai will get the iron face for the best assist of the tournament in the game where he was defending and alex tushibaya for spain took a standing shot directly into sanai's face and the ball rebounded to the other side of the court where the Tunisian winger picked it up and slotted it into the goal. So Iron Face Award, assist of a tournament. Brilliant. There are a lot of moments we've thrown out here and I understand if not everyone remembers all of them because some of them I even forgot happened as we were talking about them. So we'll throw them all out on our social media, I think, uh, as well, just to remind people of what these great moments were. So check out our Twitter and uh, Instagram accounts for that. So just uh, we'll finish this question. Overall, the whole tournament, great tournament. Would you put it down as that? I think it had huge highs, this tournament. It had the quarterfinal day and the semifinal day were both just spectacles. And it was so great to have that extra layer of knockout games. I think that's one thing that is missed in handball a little bit with the kind of final fours and usually the main rounds going into the semifinal it's nice to get that knockout fever but the flip side of that was that there's just so many games i am exhausted i think all of us 
who have watched this tournament are exhausted. And especially my girlfriend, who has had to put up with me watching six hours of handball every day for a month, is exhausted. (laughs) It has... It it can be refined a little bit, this format. And I think it's a tournament of, you know, what-ifs in terms of Egypt was set up to have an absolute spectacle. And they were blindsided by COVID. And it was a real pity because what Egypt did was invest in the physical. They, they had a bit of an old school investment strategy for this tournament where they the player's hotel overlooked the pyramids. Incredible. They built stadia for this tournament. All of these were in, incredible and would have been amazing with an arena of ravenous Egyptian fans. Can you imagine that quarterfinal game with 17,000 people? Would have been incredible. But what they didn't do is invest in the digital side where we just, we didn't get enough from the official tournament for everyone who's sitting at home at the moment. You know, it, it was a real chance for this tournament to blow up across the world and have these spectacles. We We had bits of it, but it was kind of done on an ad hoc basis from random parts of the internet. The fact that there wasn't um, English commentary for every game, the fact that the social media output was a little bit slow, the kind of hiccups at the start with the statistics and stuff. I think if they invested on the digital side, this it could have been gone to an even greater level. Yeah, this was a perfect opportunity because there was literally... Nobody else has anything to do right now. Nothing else is happening in January. And there is the whole handball world and a lot more people, particularly in America as well, and fair play to uh, the US Federation for sorting out the uh, ESPN Plus deal because it got a lot, lot more eyes on it. But yeah, there should have been commentary for every game. I offered my services. Budgetary restrictions didn't allow it. Tom O'Brannigan could have done it as well. Fucking hell, guys, the two of you could have been <laughs> there as commentators as well. Like We could have uh, among us covered all the games. Uh, instead, there were just two games per day. Um, a lot of the best games of the championship didn't have commentary in it in English. And uh, yeah, it's a pity. From the, the pure handball side of things, from where we started... A couple of days before the championship where teams were dropping out, there was like disaster. We were wondering whether the tournament was actually going to be finished. Um, it really rose big time. The organizing committee reacted well to it. We had, I think, a, a very constant flow of good games as well, uh, considering how many games there were and the disparity in levels. Uh, the the overall quality or the overall intensity of the games uh, were higher than I expected. And in that regard, I think uh, we were pretty lucky. We got a good tournament out of it. And I think never again we're going to see a cat on a handball court. So that was just a, <laughs> a special moment we'll never forget. I think that's that's a beautiful way to finish it. <laughs> yes. So from Gauthier and Mbombi and the cat, Uruguay's antics, Morocco's antics and everything in between to Denmark winning the championship. It's been... Another wild and occasionally wonderful ride uh, at Egypt 2021. Let's hope they do get to fill the stadiums sometime in the future and we get another world championship in Egypt. I'd love to be there. Thank you for everyone for listening over the last few weeks as well as we put out a few more podcasts and it won't be long until the next one. Handball never stops and neither will we. So we'll catch you again very, very soon. (laughs) 